Sepsis, or the infection causing sepsis, starts before a patient goes to the hospital in nearly 87% of cases. Sepsis is a medical emergency. If you or your loved one has an infection that's not getting better or is getting worse, act fast. Get medical care immediately. Ask your healthcare professional, could this infection be leading to sepsis? And if you should go to the emergency room, learn more at cdc.gov sepsis. Did you know that we spend a whopping one-third of our lives in bed? That's a lot of time and it's crucial to make sure we're spending it wisely. That's why I'm excited to introduce Avocado Mattress, your go-to destination for eco-organic mattresses that will revolutionize your sleep experience. Avocado Mattress offers a wide range of options to suit your budget and lifestyle, from the radically affordable to the decadently plush. And do you know what sets Avocado Mattress apart? All their mattresses are certified organic, which means that they're made of the purest materials and free from harmful chemicals. And the best part about this, these mattresses sleep cool. Organic materials are more breathable, providing you with the ultimate comfort and temperature regulation. But Avocado Mattress goes beyond just providing exceptional sleep. They believe in giving back. That's why 1% of their sales are donated to environmental and social causes. So when you choose Avocado, you're not only investing in your well-being, but also making a positive impact on the world around us. Ready to transform your sleep experience? Head over to avocadomattress.com where you'll find an extensive selection of organic mattresses designed to meet your unique needs. Whether you're a budget-conscious shopper or someone who craves luxury, Avocado Mattress has got you covered. And for a limited time, you can save 10% off of your mattress purchase by using the code BEWELL10 at checkout. That's right, a special discount just for our podcast listener. So why wait? Upgrade your sleep and make every night count with Avocado Mattress. Don't settle for ordinary sleep when you can have extraordinary sleep. Visit avocadomattress.com where sweet dreams are made of organic wool, cotton, and latex. Better for you, better for the planet. Too often, Black women are a mere afterthought in conversations around wellness, but not in this space. On this podcast, the dialogue is always centered around women like you. Welcome to the podcast, but more importantly, welcome to the tribe. Be well, sis. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Be Well, Sis podcast. I am your host, Dr. Cassandra Dunbar. Hey, sis, how you doing? How has life been treating you? But more importantly, how have you been treating yourself? I've been well. The family and I took some time off last week to really enjoy each other's company on a brief little family vacay, got a little bit of rest. Um, And now we are back. And as you've surmised from today's episode title, today's episode explores fatherhood. Fatherhood is a role that holds profound significance and impact on our lives. And today our special guest is someone who is not only deeply connected to my heart, but also shares a unique perspective on healing and growing up without a father, my husband and baby daddy, Dorian. (laughs) In this episode, we take a profound look at the experience and emotions surrounding fatherhood, and we'll uncover the challenges, the breakthroughs, and the transformation that has taken place within him as he navigates the complexities of fatherhood despite the absence of his own father. So join us as we have an intimate conversation on growing up fatherless and his personal experience navigating that as a father himself. So I'm going to keep the intro really short and sweet so we can go ahead and just hop into the conversation. As always, thank you so much for being here. I am so, so glad you're here. 
be well, sis. So today I am, uh, I always say I'm excited, but today's excitement hits a little bit differently because I have somebody very special on the podcast today. I have the one, the only, Mr. Be Well Sis himself on the podcast. My hubby's on the podcast with us. Hey, babe, how are you? How are you? I'm good. Thank you for being on the show. Today, I have you on especially because this is our Father's Day um, episode. And who better to talk about fatherhood and your journey um, navigating fatherhood um, than you? So thank you for your time. I appreciate you. And the first question that we're going to start with is, um, how does it feel to be married to me? Um, it's like, no, I'm playing. I'm playing. <laughs> Who leads with that on Fox? <laughs> um, so in full transparency, Father's Day was uh, yesterday. Um, and I always like to express to you how I feel about you Um and especially about how you are as a father, because I just, we're going to hop right into it. People who listen to the show already know, if they've been listening consistently, already know um, my story. So I did not have a father. Like, I have a biological father. Like, somebody helped put me on this earth. But I don't have a father in this, the typical sense where, like, somebody who helped to, like, physically, emotionally, all those things raise me. And so because of that, I didn't know what to expect from my partner um, in terms of how my partner would show up as a parent. And I just want to let you know that you have done an amazing job. Like you've always exceeded expectations. So my question to start off with you, my real question this time is, how has becoming a father changed your perspective on life in general? On life? Um, I mean, it's definitely changed my perspective on parenthood. Um, I think I look at life a little bit differently now that we have kids um, to raise. Life seems probably more precious than I thought. Um, some days more fragile than I thought. Um, you got little beings who, you know, not to be so grim about it, but they die if you don't take care of them, you know. Yeah. Um, so you become a little more aware about of your surroundings. Um, my life has become way less important, right? Um, it it, it involves it involved them. So how how I fit into my family starts to become the the big picture. Um, so you don't really look at life the way you most of us we go through life looking at life through a lens of just ourselves. And then you have kids, you know, their prison changes. It becomes where you fit within the scheme of the family. And then that just becomes life for you. So that's the biggest change is not being able to do things that only concern you. Everything you do concerns them. You have to make sure that it makes sense for them as much as it makes sense for you. Yeah. So that's how, that's how I, I see life differently in that regard. But that's that's not unique mm-hmm. to me. I think, that's, I think that's the human experience if you care about your kids. And most of us, I think a vast majority of people who have kids care deeply for them. I'm I'm on that team where I don't think there's anything too special to be done as a a father, which is probably going to take away from the interview, but that's really how I see it. Necessarily, because I feel like you made a point that you like, you know, most humans care deeply about their kids. We both share the experience of coming from uh, people like fathers specifically who do not care about us um, 
maybe they did in their hearts. I don't know, but they didn't show up. You know what I'm saying? So um, for me, that has, I'm not even sure how to put it, but. I got, I mean, I got some, I have some thoughts on that. Um, I, I, one of the things, I mean, I, I had a cousin who used to put a lot of emphasis on how, you know, we, we, do you create some issue like that? Yeah, you can, yeah. Okay. You speak how you want. So, you know, dude was on like a dad's ain't shit trip. And I'm just like, do you even know a bunch of ain't shit dad? And I don't. Um, I think it might be generational, but I think I'm a, I'm a part of a generation of dads who communicate with each other. We communicate with the world because of social media. The world is really small. It's easy to get information, anecdotal and otherwise. You get feedback instantly. Mm-hmm. I think I think a lot of us never considered failing at fatherhood as an option, and I think there's a lot more of that than people give credence to. Um, our dads never spoke to each other. Like, we know each other, but our dads never spoke to each other. But sometimes I wonder if my dad could have spoke to your dad how they would look but you know a lot of times people can avoid looking in the mirror mm-hmm. so i wonder how many i wonder how many deadbeat dads my dad got to speak to and if that would have changed his outlook on the job he's clearly not wired to do any of this stuff naturally um mm-hmm. and i say that because i say that because most of the stuff that i do as a dad it's visceral and i don't feel like i have a choice right. i wouldn't choose i wouldn't choose it any other way but the same way i don't think to breathe i don't think to parent like, it doesn't feel like an option to be a bad parent or to be an absent parent. And I think most dads have that gear in them. And if they don't, they're kind of broken. I don't think there's a lot of dads out here choosing to be good dads. I think most of us, through nature, we recognize the importance of being there, of being decent, of helping them thrive. And I don't, I don't think, again, I really don't think, I don't think of being a dad as anything you do special. It's a privilege, honestly. Do you feel that becoming a father has made you look at your father any differently? It made me look at my father with a level of pity and there's a word to this. I, pity might be a little too aggressive. I started to feel, but I did feel sorry for my dad as I became a dad. I just, I blamed him less for the, the decision, quote unquote, mm-hmm. that he made as I, as I became a dad. I thought to myself, there's no way anybody would have all of these feelings that I have for my children and then just go, nah, I'm going to do this instead. Mm. So I don't look at like, I don't look at deadbeat dads the way a lot of people look at deadbeat dads. Now there's some deadbeat dads out there who beat their chest. Um, We throw the word narcissistic around too much, but that's probably what that is. That's probably like a real defect. Like the deadbeat dad who beats his chest about all the other things that he is in life. Yeah, I know that. I know that that guy is like a, a whole different kind of broken, and you don't really, you don't really feel pity for them. But I think there are a lot of dads out there who are paralyzed and disconnected from their children. You know, when when my kids came out, a switch flipped, and I do mean when they came out, as in I quite literally had a different level of love once the boys came out mm-hmm. than I than I did when they were just in the womb. When you were carrying them, it was all about you. When they came out, it was all about them, and a, and a switch flipped. And it wasn't this noble thing that I chose to do. Like, the switch flipped, and I became terrified. I became defensive. I became emotional. It's all very much guttural. Is that a word? It's a word. It's just a word now, if it ain't. I'm pretty sure it is. But the thing is, my question is, 
how did that, how did becoming a father make you pity? That's the word they're going to use right now. You're fine. Because I, knew, because I knew that he couldn't turn it on if he tried. And I knew that because if he could turn it on, he would have tried. I, I, I genuinely believe that parent, it's not natural for parents to not love their children. It's, it's unnatural. It's, it's, the species would, would die off within 30 years if, if parents get to choose if they love their kids. I don't think for one I don't think for one second that that's the kind of thing you choose. So I started to feel bad for a person who is missing something that the rest yep, something that the rest of us have been given. Like I feel like that's a gift from God. The ability the ability and the want to take care of your children to me is a gift from God. And it, and it helps the species survive, it helps your kids survive. And it helps you survive. I'm the better I'm the way better version of myself um in being a dad than I ever would have been in in, in not being a dad. So I look at all the things that came along with becoming a dad, and I think of it as more like a gift. Less, it's not like the superpower you get. It's like this gift that you get. And I think if a parent doesn't have that to reach from, if they don't have a source to pull from, I pity that person. That's that's a horrible feeling. Hmm. I couldn't. So I, I couldn't. It would be like it would be like going to work. The only way to get paid is to do this job and put life for you. You cannot learn it. That that has to feel awful. Because I don't, I don't see me surviving without my kids, and I would imagine that whatever version of my dad would have been didn't get to survive because of what he wasn't able to turn on himself. And then I look at his life right now. We may, may, or may not ever hear this, but I don't envy my dad. And we talked. I, I texted him yesterday for Father's Day. Mm-hmm. All that being said, I know that his life is not a picture that he wouldn't paint. Mm-hmm. It's I, not filled I think with love. You are very. You're very compassionate. Um, you have a little compassion that I don't have because when I first, when I had our, our first child, something in me, like the 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 flip, the switch flipped, right? Like you know, yes, of course. I I, I think I was already attached to our oldest just by nature of carrying him and feeling his kicks, and like we started to establish a bond. But once I actually got a chance to see his face. And I realized how, um, like, how not useless, but yes, like he could not take care. He could not survive without people, you know, like he was just an infant. He couldn't do anything for himself. And he depended on us to do everything for him. And once I realized how just innocent and vulnerable, that's the word, he was, is when I realized the the switch flipped in my mind that I was no longer interested in trying to form a relationship with my father, which I had been kind of wishy-washy about trying to yeah. form a relationship with my father, right? And I was like, no, nah, I'm done here. Like, where you went one way, I went the other way. Like, you, so you found you became, compassion. You became mad at him because... Yeah, because honestly, because the thought that I had was like, you know, he loved me to die. Not even how dare he, but wow, you left me to die. If it wasn't for my mother to hold me down and, and, you know, my little village that held me down, like, that's it. Like, babies can't do shit for themselves, you know? And you left. So compassion is a good word to describe it. But, you know, to say that you lack that compassion, I don't know. For him. I get it. I get it. The same energy uh, you just just described in a scenario where... Because they abandoned us and because he abandoned you, he essentially left you for dead. So now when you look at him, that's what you see. When you think of him, that's what you think of. You think of the person who left you for dead. Yes. Okay. I mean, my mom was the shit. Mm-hmm. And and that's my world. 
Mm-hmm. So it, I'm not, I just wasn't wired to be laser focused on what he wasn't. I okay. always came, I always looked at life for what my life was. When I was a kid, I wasn't that way. When I was a kid, I was jealous of kids who had dads. Um, emotionally, um, I was jealous. Financially, I was jealous. Like Same. we wasn't dirt poor, but we never had nothing extra. Yeah. And the the extras would have come. You know, she my, my mom was killing it in a way that if he would have just showed up and been half a piece of shit, we'd have had more than. <laughs> right. So the pity part, I guess. So I, I get I get what you're saying. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not like I pity him in a way that I want to fix it for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. Right. I could be tight with him and cool with him right now, but we don't have nothing in common. And what I mean by that is I'm a dad. Me and that nigga ain't got nothing in common. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know? right, right. I had that talk with my brother the other day. Like, yo, we don't even beef with him, but we can't relate. If 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 we just knew him from school and his his story was, I got these two kids. I never looked after them before or after they mom passed. We wouldn't be cool with homies. But we not really, so it's hard to be cool with him. Mm-hmm. It's not, it is not me. But that's not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't choose to associate with a person who carried on that way. Okay. I would, I would have pity for them, but I wouldn't have a ton of time. So another thing that me and you have in common is that not only are the fathers deadbeats, we also come from really great mothers. But another thing that's interesting and that I didn't realize when we were like friends is that our fathers also have other children like with other women, right? Mm-hmm. And my experience is that um, he seems to have good relationships with my, with my, we'll call them my siblings. Like, like, that's my. Right. So my question is for me, if I'm being a hundred percent funky with you, I really feel a level of, and this is just me being so open and it's kind of embarrassing, kind of cringe, but like a little bit of jealousy there. Right. Do you ever feel um, any level of jealousy at all feeling or feel that she may have gotten something that you and your brother didn't get? I mean, she got something, but I I know to do. Mm-hmm. She could have it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Ah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. With, with all due respect, if I I thought as a child that I was missing out because of how superficially you look at things, you look at a family as a structure. You don't think of people and how they have to nurture. So I never once considered what it would be like to be nurtured by the wrong person when I was a kid. Mm. So you think you you thinking you thinking about missing out on a dad, but like not every dad is the shit, mm-hmm. right? So. Who you want to be? Who you who you're nurtured by has a way bigger impact on you than how many people you're nurtured by. So you don't. I'm not jealous. God yes. Mm-hmm. So no, I'm not t- today. I'm not jealous. Yes, when I was a kid, I was fucked up. When Will Smith gave his fucking soliloquy, he fucked me up. Oh, um, on the Fresh Prince, yes. right? Everybody like I I still cry to this day over the how how come he don't want me man speech. And not even because of my own dad. I'm like hurting for fake Will. Like I'm, I'm hurting for, mm-hmm. for Will, mm-hmm. for that guy. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I, I, I'm not that guy. Um, why my dad didn't want me is really not that important because of how much my tribe actually did want me. Mm-hmm. Because my mom and my aunts and my grandparents and my uncles, they did want me. 
So I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to be jealous of, of people who have a thing you don't really think you want at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think what I think what's different between me and you is that I'm in more contact with my father and my sibling about my father yeah. than perhaps you are. So because your siblings haven't spent any time on your dad's shortcomings and because you haven't spent more quote unquote quality time being able to soak up your dad's bullshit, it's easy to forget. It's really easy to forget how God has a way of taking people out of our lives for the for the betterment of our lives. Mm. So so no, I'm not I'm not even a little bit jealous. Yeah. Be well, sis is very much an advocate for therapy, and I believe that you don't have to be in crisis in order to seek help and get support. Life is complicated. We all wear many hats, and sometimes it can be overwhelming. Starting therapy years ago has been pivotal in helping me be a better mother, daughter, and partner. It's truly been a game changer in how I view myself and the world around me. So Be Well Sis is proud to be sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy platform whose mission is to make professional therapy accessible, affordable, and convenient. So anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anywhere and anytime. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BeWellSis. That's BetterHelp.com slash BeWellSis. So. Yeah. I'm in, ther- I'm in therapy now. And uh, yeah, I would have been there a lot earlier if I don't step with homeboy. <laughs> I was actually, that brings us to the next point. I was actually going to say, like, you are, um, one of the things that I love about you is that you're very emotionally mature and I, I think, no, I do. And I, I think one thing that attracted me to you um, when we were friends, um, even on a friendship level, I felt that like you had a level of depth to you that the other young men did not. Like I could talk to you about anything and you had actual substance and you had thoughts, you know, even though I may not necessarily agree with all those thoughts, right? Um, like you had something to, to offer. So though. What I'm bringing this around to say, like all the things that you just said now, like even though like we talk about this type of stuff pretty frequently, especially when this time of year comes around and social media gets me every time um, seeing all like the posts um, and we talk about this type of stuff all the time. And I'm just thinking about how I'm getting so much from you. And I was going to act like you sound like somebody who is healed or and or healing, right? Um, and you mentioned that you're in therapy. Yeah. Is this something that you guys talk about in therapy? Like your father no. dynamic? No. Do you? Okay. No. <laughs> Do you talk about? No. Okay, cool. Do you talk about you as a father? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. My, I, I, I started back in therapy strictly out of fear of failing as a father a lot of F's. Mm-hmm. That's really, that's how I came back to therapy. I came back to therapy uh, with my head down, um, ashamed and terrified. I'm like, you know, I don't think I'm doing this. And I was looking for like any kind of answer because it had gotten really dark for me. Mm-hmm. I was, I got to a point where I was like, well, I need to check on my life insurance because this might be a better option for my family. That's really where I was when I got back into therapy. So I was like, I need to pad my insurance up because 
I'm not sure that plan A is going to work out and they deserve plan A. That was it. So, yeah, uh, I talk about being, being a dad is one of the main things I talk about. Having a dad, I've never, I mean, and I haven't even avoided it. Me and her were able to speak. I was able to speak to her candidly. And she kind of agreed with my sentiment, asked me to go into it. And there was nothing to really go into. I was just like, nah, that situation was unfortunate. Like I would have, I would have loved to have an additional loving parent mm-hmm. um, in my, in my life, but it would not have been my, my biological father. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't, there wasn't much to tell. Mm-hmm. There's still not much to tell about him. So let's go ahead and switch gears a little bit and talk about more so about your, you as a father and your dynamic with the kids. And it's really interesting to me just listening and how you say that when you went to therapy, you had your head down yeah. and did you say ashamed? Yeah. Yeah. Head up. No, no. That's wild to me because um, you have always been even on your worst day, as in like you may not felt like like depression was kicking your ass and maybe anxiety is kicking your ass. Like you have always shown up for our kids, always. So it's interesting to hear that. Um, so my first question um, in terms of like your parenting that I would want to know is what so far, what are some uh, valuable lessons that you've, lo- that you've learned from our kids and just your journey and or your our, your journey as a father. So I, it's like a trickle down effect from like one main lesson that I'm learning, which is that your presence is probably the most valuable thing you can offer your children. And that goes for not just fathers, but all parents. Um, mm-hmm. Your presence is the most valuable thing you can offer. And I think I didn't always know that uh, when I was depressed, when I was fighting depression because of my mom passing and dealing with anger, uh, undiagnosed, untreated anxiety. Those two things together, like it was like a cocktail that just kept me in a fog, not able to, not able to appreciate the importance of my presence. So, that's the biggest lesson that I learned as a parent is your presence is is the, is the blessing for your children, and then you can you, know, you can work on yourself and be better at all the other aspects of parenting. But if you are not present with your kids, I don't just mean physically there. I mean, like, physically there and then engaged, right? Like, I don't give two shits about Fortnite. <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I mess with them. You know, I mess with Fortnite for nowhere. I don't care about Roblox and I mess with Roblox for eight. And, you know, math is my subject, but, re- but literature and reading is Noah's thing. So I, I lean into the stuff that he's into, the stuff that they're into. And I would think after that is, Making things about them is is probably the other most important thing. So if you if you can be a father who's there and then also be laser focused on what's important to them and not pushing them and pulling them in directions because there's stuff that you have to push them towards and pull them from for their safety. Right. But when it comes to their interests, they get to choose all of that, and you have to be their number one fan. You got to be their biggest cheerleader. If you do that, they're gonna find a level of peace and comfort and confidence that'll carry them. Those those are my two biggest things. And then obviously there's a couple other things if you want to get into them. Oh, let's go. We're here. Let's get into it. Patience. Yeah. Um, 
I wear I wear patience like a badge. Even when I, I'm patient with them, even when I'm not really being patient with them. Mm-hmm. They can never know that I'm running out of patience. Unless they got it coming. Like if it's if we in society won't have patience for this thing and it's gonna be to your detriment, now I gotta show them we're running out of patience. Yeah. Outside of that, outside of that, the baseline for everything is patience. I don't mirror them ever. Yeah. There's nothing there's nothing they can do. That is um that is something that I'm working on. You definitely are the more patient one between the two of us because I get frazzled and like, oh my <laughs> gosh, if I have to repeat myself one more time, like, oh, I'm running away. Um, no. But you are very patient. Yeah. So you got to wear the, you got to wear the mask even if you're not feeling patient. That's, that's really the key. To call me the more patient of the two of us is probably it's selling yourself short. But I'm willing to wear that mask because of how important it is for them to have a feeling of to they'll react to your sense of calm. Mm-hmm. So even when I am not feeling calm, like Aiden trying to die on a damn food snack, mm-hmm. I'm sitting there trying to get it dislodged and know it's panicking and going nuts. And now on on the inside, I'm like, well, there's like two of us gonna die right now. But on the outside, we're just we we're doing the Heimlich patient. Because I can't have Noah spaz out. I'm scared if, if Noah spazzes out, then maybe I lose my cool and I, I miss I miss something. Mm-hmm. So that's that's again, it's less about being patient. It's more about displaying patience that they can feel. Um, yeah. If you can stay calm, then they have a chance to because they're not calm individually, right? No, no, they're not. They are So I keep trying to give them a reason to be calm. So I just somebody told me, and I don't remember who the hell it was. The importance of never mirroring them. Yeah. Right. Uh, you you you'll kneel down and get down to their height to give them a sense of evenness. You're not talking. You're not you know. You're not reigning over them or be brooding over them. You want to want them to always feel like humans. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They they they're little humans, and so I I I try and do that, and I try to display. Yeah, I think that's what. That's one of the things that I am working on. You mentioned them, you know, being little humans, right? I think because I grew up, we, you too, grew up in an era where children were not necessarily humans. Like, children were children, which were, like, of the same species, but not quite human. Like, we didn't didn't get, like, respect and all of those things. I still am actively working to not repeat that um that sentiment right um so sometimes I, I catch myself like talking to my kids in a way that you know i wouldn't I talk you, to I you, you. Do an awesome job i think you do an awesome job and i think you you you've only gotten better and better at it you do an awesome job of speaking to our kids like you like so there are times where i'm listening in like the fuck right <laughs> <laughs> he does not need that much grace so I think you do an awesome job and don't sell yourself short. I think you do a really good job of making them feel heard uh, and seen. I know that whatever's going on in the world around them, I know when our kids come home, they feel like until we raise our voice, we all equal, which is adorable, right? <laughs> I take that. I'd rather them have that feeling than constantly looking over their shoulder. Yeah, you know? not feeling um, safe and all of those things. Yeah, I get that. Um, 
So we've talked a lot about what, you know, you've learned. What I want to know now is what is something that you want them? If there was one or two things that you want them to take from being your child, what are the two lessons? If it was, if you're only limited to one or two. So what I got from my mom, what I got from my mom was she had a way of making sure that we knew we could be any any type of person, as long as it's a good person, and she would be loving and accepting of it. And there were even times where she made it clear that she can only protect us so much, even if we're a bad person. <laughs> she would be loving, uh, she would be loving and accept any version of us and protect us to the best of our abilities. You know, she didn't want us to do the wrong thing. And, you know, if you talk to my brother for 12 seconds, you'd be talking to my brother about basketball and you're going to hear the phrase, do the right thing, son. Mm-hmm. He's going to reference my, he's going to reference my mom constantly reminding us to do the right thing and how important it was for us to just do the right thing. And that was it. If you just do the right thing for the rest of your life, she would have you. Mm-hmm. So I want, I want my kids to have that, um, I want them to know that being my kid means as long as you do the right thing, that means to the best of your ability, you always have like a home, like a home and a tribe. So nowhere you go in this world can make you feel isolated, right? There's no level of failure. There's no level of success that you could accomplish or experience that would put you out. So the first thing I want them to know is that I'm always going to be home for them. But it's important that they do the right thing. Mm-hmm. That's what it means. And that, and that means I'm going to be holding them to that. Mm-hmm. It's not, I hope you do the right thing. It's you must do the right thing. Mm-hmm. You have to. This thing, this whole world doesn't work. If everybody's out here doing whatever the fuck they want, you have to do the right thing. What is the right thing? We all know exactly what it is, even when we're wrong. And that's where we get fucked up. We all know what the right thing is, even if we're wrong, right? Even if because our because our worldview is skewed, or our wisdom is lacking, or our opinion is wrong, even if we don't have the right answer, we have a choice between doing what we think is the right thing and the wrong thing. And if everybody is doing what they think is right, we'll survive it. So what the right thing is is less important than did you do what you thought was the right thing at the time, or did you do some other shit? Gotcha. So making the right nobody. Choosing right, right? Doing doing what you think is the right thing. It's not no. It's not about knowing what the right thing is. None of us know what the right thing is. That's that's a whole political conversation that we can have. I have a perfectly pristine idea of what I think the right thing is, but it's shaped by my worldview and my wisdom. And both of those things are limited. I'm from Queens. I'm from Jersey. I'm from Chicago. I'm from Charlotte. I ain't been nowhere, so I only know what I know. So when I go to do the right thing, it's based off of my own worldview and experience. Everybody has that same shortcoming, if you will. So the best thing any of us can do is what we actually think is the right thing. And there are tons of opportunities in life that you and I and our children are going to have to do the wrong thing, maybe because it benefits us. Yeah. And it's super important to do what you know in your heart to be the right thing at that time. And if you do that, Whatever somebody comes back and tells me about you, they're going to have a hard time conveying that to me. Because I know my kid, and I love my kid, and my kid is worthy. So I want them to know that being my kid means they're always going to be worthy. That's super important. 
this world will this world will grind you the fuck down, man. They'll try and make you feel like you're not you and you lose yourself. So I want my kids to know that as long as they do the right thing, they're good enough by me and that we are in the village and you have a home. For those who do not know us, Florian's a very emotional person. And I really love that about you. I really do. No, honestly, I'm jealous. I'm just, I'm emotionally constipated. I, I, for real, like be wanting to cry so badly. Like, you know, when you like, you don't know, you really don't know, but anybody who's emotionally constipated (laughs) like me, sometimes I, it's, it's been a very long time since I cried. And sometimes I feel like I need that release and I just can't get it. And I love how our kids like bring you to tears. A lot of times it's happy tears. And I just love that about you. I, I I always say I did not know what um what a father looked like. And I'm just so happy that I chose you to to be my children's father. I honestly thought that I was going to be a single mother by choice because no, honestly, I did. I no, I, I, I that's funny. It's funny that you thought that. Yeah, I thought I was gonna parent singly because I just never saw um, a great example of fatherhood growing up and just the men that I had been around um, made the house cold and sterile and tense. And I'm just like, I don't want that in my life. Like, I just want, I really want my house to be like a happy home. And if, that's, if that means it's going to be just me and my baby or me and my babies, so be it. And mm-hmm. building a life with you and, and having all of that, like the the joyful house, the loud house, my goodness, um, but also with a partner who encourages joy, who encourages people to be themselves has just been really a blessing, one that I didn't even know to pray for. And I'm just really, really grateful. Um, so, one, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, next time you are having a hard time on Father's Day because of what your father wasn't, just remember that who your your children's father is is a direct result of who his father was. Hmm. So, because Sam didn't raise me and Phil didn't raise me, and only Deborah raised me, I'm able to parent the way I'm able to parent. And there's no telling who or what I turn into if I have men like the men who dodged us helping to raise me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's, well, that's why we can't get too hung up on what we don't have. Because what we don't have, me and you, what we what we don't have, you know, in common, is probably our biggest blessing. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for being my guest and um, cutting it up with me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate you. Um, for the listeners, thank you so much for um, tuning in. As always, if there is anything that you have found the least bit helpful or entertaining on the Be Well Sis podcast, please leave us a five-star rating and a review and share this episode with anybody who may have, who who you may feel will benefit from this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, Be Well Sis. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Be Well Sis podcast. For more information on anything discussed in this episode, please see the show notes and or visit www.bewellsispodcast.com. Oh, and don't forget to leave a five-star rating on Apple. Until next time, be well, sis.